The tour content from now through Lagwa Omer has been generously sponsored by Malki M. Thank you, Malki. June is less than a month away, which means that I'll soon be transitioning into summer writing mode with more Substack articles and fewer recorded shiurim. The bulk of these articles will remain free. However, if you would like to support my Torah and gain access to additional spicy written content, consider becoming a paid subscriber by going to rabbishneweis.substack.com and signing up today. Hello, I'm Rabbi Matt Schneeweiss, and this is the Stoic Jew Podcast, where we explore the relationship between Judaism and Stoicism. Today's reading is from Epictetus' Enchiridion, the handbook, chapter 50. Hold fast to the things herein proposed as if they were laws, as if it would be sacrilegious to transgress them. Pay no attention to what people say about you, for this is no longer yours. Now, I know that Epictetus put both of those sentences together because of reasons, but we're only going to focus on the first sentence. So let me reread that, since it's so short. And then we'll uh, talk about it. Hold fast to the things herein proposed, meaning all of the ideas and principles uh, in the handbook. So hold fast to them as if they were laws, as if it would be sacrilegious to transgress them. So I'm currently reading a book called How to Be Perfect, The Correct Answer to Every Moral Question. It's a book on moral philosophy written by Michael Schur, who is the creator of the show The Good Place, and uh, co-creator of Parks and Recreation, uh, co-writer for The Office, uh, and other shows. And it is a, it's a book on moral, uh, it's designed to be an introduction to moral philosophy, but it, since it's written by a comedy writer, uh, it's, it's very uh, uh, humorous and uh, aimed at lay people, and it still has lots of ideas in it, but it's, uh, you know, it's not your average moral philosophy book. So there's, I was reading this morning, there's a chapter called... <laughs> chapter 8 the title of the chapter is this is the title we've done some good deeds and given a bunch of money to charity and we're generally really nice and morally upstanding people so can we take three of these free cheese samples from the free cheese sample plate at the supermarket even though it clearly says one per customer and I'm reading in the subsection of this uh, chapter and the subsection is called moral exhaustion the most important term you'll learn from this book so he he basically the author basically goes and talks you know this is halfway through the book or i guess two thirds of the way through the book so he's he's laid out a lot of different uh moral philosophies and and uh played them through scenarios and this chapter deals with this phenomenon he calls moral exhaustion when you are trying to do everything morally and it just becomes so exhausting to to think about anything and to do anything, and it's easy to get paralyzed and to not not be able to uh, to make any decisions. If you've seen the show The Good Place, then the character Chidi Anagonia is, uh, is embodies this. So I was thinking about this concept, and I was thinking about this Facebook group that I belong to called I think it's called Stoicism, where people post a bunch of questions, and you could tell that there are a lot of people who are trying to relate to the teachings of Stoicism as if they are rules. Now, that sounds like what Epictetus is advocating, right? And in fact, there were Stoics who actually took this to a greater extreme. I don't actually remember who this is. I read about it in Ryan Holiday's book, The Lives of the Stoics, but one of the Stoic philosophers, which I don't have with me right now, one of the Stoic philosophers actually tried to draw up uh, treatises, treat, treat, <laughs> treatises of... of exactly how you should act in every single situation. And that was his approach to Stoicism. And there was another Stoic philosopher who was vehemently against that. And the and Epictetus, it's interesting, because Epictetus, in his discourses, really just talks about the ideas, but then the handbook is a formulation into, into principles. And now he didn't 
it, to be fair, he didn't write these principles. It was his student, Arian. But there are principles, and that's why he says in this part of the handbook, you should relate to these principles as if they are laws. That that is that's kind of the whole idea of a handbook. But I was thinking about the fact that the Torah does. So I sorry, let me back up for a second. When I when I read these questions on this Facebook group, I can tell that a lot of people. I don't know if these are people who I don't know anything about these people, but it's I get the impression that a lot of them haven't really tried to live a life in accordance with principles of teachings. I mean, Jews have a great deal of experience with this because we live by the Torah and and I'm sure there are religious Christians and Muslims also who have experience with this. But the the average secular American uh, is is not really living a life where they're consulting principles and then trying to to approximate those ideals in their own life. And I, I could just I get that vibe from a lot of the questions. And additionally, I get a lot of this vibe of anxiety that people have when they fall short from these uh, of these rules or when they don't know exactly what to do in a certain situation. So what this reminded me of is the Rob Boggs introduction to the Torah where he writes that the Torah is comprised of three different sections uh, or three elements. Uh, and he says, so I'm just going to read my translation of, of uh, this. The first element mistakenly thought of by many as the entire objective of the Torah are the mitzvos, the commandments, which encompass what we have been commanded to believe and do, as well as what we, uh, as what not to believe and do. These are the 613 mitzvos according to the popularized numbering. So pause there for one second. So that's what we call halacha, Jewish law. So what we are commanded and prohibited to do and not do. Okay, so the second element, though, he says, the second element encompasses the the science of ethics or the wisdom of ethics. This area is beyond the scope of command and prohibition because it presupposes a level of human perfection well beyond the capacity of the average citizen, which is possible in the Torah commandments. To illustrate, let us consider if the Torah were to legislate in the following, that we must not be angry except about one except about what one should ideally be angry about, and even then only to the ideal measure of anger and only in the proper time and place. Or perhaps that one should only be happy about what ideally should be happy about, and even then only to the ideal measure of happiness in the proper time and place. Or perhaps that one should not strive to dominate someone except for someone whom one ideally should dominate, and even then only to the ideal measure in the proper time and place and the like. All, so, so pause there for one second. So he's saying, that unlike halacha, which governs every single detail in in legislative uh, ways, saying exactly what is prohibited and uh, obligatory, what if the Torah did that in the realm of ethics, in the realm of 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 midos, of of character traits, right? And and it and what if what if our anger were legislated down to the t, and uh, and our happiness and our 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 you know desire for uh, domination, etc. So what would happen? So the Rabbah writes. If this happened, if this were the case, if the Torah tried to do this, he says, all people would be in a constant state of sin, except for a small population. Perfections of this variety should not be in the domain of command and prohibition, as it will lead people to be lax with the fulfillment of other commandments, once they see that it is impossible to fulfill many Torah commandments. Therefore, the Torah guides us in this area through accounts of the individual members of earlier generations who were known for their perfection, along with some of their despicable actions and their consequences, so that we distance ourselves from doing such actions. So in other words, the Torah... Hashem realizes... Well, obviously Hashem realizes. Hashem knows, because He created man and created the Torah, that if... If he tried to legislate emotions in this manner, then it would be too impossible. It would be impossible for all but the most self-controlled superhuman individuals. 
And consequently, people would be in a state of sin all the time because they'd be constantly getting angry about things they shouldn't, and then that would be a violation of of halacha and or or having certain feelings of desire when they shouldn't, and that would be another violation of halacha. And they would be in a state of sin all the time, and then that would lead them to disregard the rest of of Jewish law because they basically say, okay, I'm I'm sinning so much anyway. Why do I have to? You know, I might as well just uh, give up. So. What I am realizing from this, I, I mean, I realized this earlier, but this is just a new angle, that it, it really is amazing that, that the Torah does divide the ways in which it governs our lives, uh, that it, it, it doesn't put everything into the realm of legislation, nor does it put any, everything into the realm of, of abstract principles and guidelines. You know, there are certain things, there are many areas where we, we are governed by actual legislation, and no matter what, we cannot do X, Y, Z, and we are obligated to do X, Y, Z, and everything is defined very, very in a very detailed way. And there is a certain rigidity to that, but at the same time, it's also a program that we can follow. We can know exactly what to do, when, you know, and, and when to do it, and we can know when we're in line with God's will and when we're not. And by keeping those behaviors in this highly regimented way, then it will produce certain perfections that that uh, that will will change the way that we live. And on the other hand, there are these other areas where the, where the Torah backs off and just guides us through examples of the accounts in the Torah or through generalized teachings and lets us develop at our own pace. Avram ben Ramam has a similar idea in his Hamaspik Lov De Hashem, in his book, uh, the, uh, uh, however you want to translate, Hamaspik Lov De Hashem, that which is sufficient for the servants of Hashem, where he talks about the Derech Ha'am and the Derech Ha'yachi. The Derech Ha'am is what he calls Halacha, the mitzvos. And it's called the Derech Am, the way of the people, because it is everyone is uh, it's uniform. It applies to everyone equally. And then the Derech Hayachid is when you strive to utilize halacha and to keep the mitzvos in order to achieve the intended uh, objectives of those mitzvos. And that's something that is highly individualized, and a person can kind of take that at their own pace. So I, I don't want to say that this is something that is lacking in Stoicism, because I don't know enough about about how the different Stoics related to their own teachings and principles. But that statement of Epictetus where he says you should relate to all these principles as if they were laws, I mean, I understand the notion that, that you, should, you should be disciplined in your, in your uh, application of Stoicism and, and that you shouldn't just start making exceptions uh, you know, based on circumstances. So I understand that. But at the same time, I see what happens if you try to make these principles of stoicism into the principles of stoicism into laws, and then you relate to them with all the psychology of relating to laws. It it just doesn't work in the same way that the raw box says. I mean, maybe if you're on a very high level, you can do it. But first of all, the stoics don't spell out how to behave in each and every circumstance. And like I said, the one who tried got rightly criticized for that because you can't really map out every single, single human interaction in in legalistic terms. And I think if you, you know, the, the nature of principles is such that, like, you need to know, sometimes it's it's appropriate to apply one principle and sometimes it's appropriate to apply another, another principle. And it's it, it doesn't lend itself to that sort of, like, clear-cut, uh, you know, tell me exactly what to do and I'll, I'll apply it every time. And I think if you try to do that, you end up with this this moral exhaustion, this stoic exhaustion that comes from trying to be stoic in uh, you know, to fulfill stoic principles in every single aspect of your life. And I, I think that that is uh, that could be detrimental. Now, I'll add one more thing, just because it's slightly related. I was doing a Mishnah in Pirkei Avos 
2.7 in this numbering. Uh, this is the one that has all the marbez. So I'm just going to quote the one clause here. Marbe nechasim marbe da'aga. So one who, who increases in possessions will increase in worry. And then later on in the Mishnah, it says marbe Torah marbe chaim. One who increases in Torah will increase in life. So the the Rabinu Yonah uh, explains what it means Marbe nechasi marbe daga, one who increases in possessions increases in worry. He says, Al yachshov ki al kavod oshrov rov nechasav yivali yamav betov ushnosav b'neimim. Don't think that that with uh, a tremendous amount of wealth and possessions, then you'll you'll spend the rest of your days in good and your years in pleasantness. Vuhu doig alehim kol hashana kula. But really, what's going to happen is you're going to worry about these things all year all year long. Uh, <laughs> ask the rich people about this, and they'll tell you. Okay, so so there's a lot of explanations for why the more possessions you have, then uh, then the more worry you're going to have. Maybe we'll do another episode on that. But then when he says marbe Torah marbe Chaim, the more Torah, the more life. So he says that uh, he says zeh hadavar keneged mash amar marbe basar marbe rima shalide hatanug yiskatru yamav aide amal b'torah yarichon. So this is the opposite of what it said earlier in the Mishnah that the more flesh, the more worms. That through self indulgence you'll shorten your days, uh, but through toiling in the Torah you will prolong them. And then he says, Vgamkin, who kneged marbe nechasim marbe daga. This clause also corresponds, or is the opposite of what it says, that the more possessions, the more worry. Ki hadagas hanechasim mekatseres shenosav. Worrying about your possessions shortens your lifespan. Okay, now here's the point that he makes. Vidagas ha-Torah, worrying about Torah, af ki hi daga gadola lemevin, even though it is a great source of worry for the one who understands, kasher yechashiv v'halacha ad yomar davar davur al ofanav, to the point where someone who is thinking about halacha in order to say it properly. Okay, I, I don't know what he means by that. Kasher yechashiv v'halacha ad yomar davar ofanav. I don't know if he means if you're trying to think about how to how to like. Uh, properly formulate an idea, or if he's talking about properly keeping halacha, I, it's not going to matter for our purposes. He says, "In ra." This type of worry cannot harm you. Even though the the scientists, uh, uh, the natural scientists, uh, scholars say that worry will produce sickness in the heart, and and uh, uh, and oh, sorry, I guess yagon choli halev that uh, despondency is a sickness of the heart and, and worry is, is diminishes the heart. Nevertheless, if you worry about Torah, then that will add days and years to your life and you will increase in your amount of peace. This is what Shlomo HaMelech meant when he said in Mishlei 10.27, Fear of Hashem will increase days and the years of the wicked it will cut short. So I don't get everything he's saying here, but I was just intrigued by, by this notion that he's saying, just as the more, just as it's true that the more possessions you have, the more worry you're going to have, and that's going to shorten your life. So too, the more Torah you have, then the more life you're going to have. And even though it is possible to have anxiety about Torah and worry about Torah, that type of worry will not harm you, and to the contrary, it will prolong your life. So I was trying to think about what that means. And again, I don't know exactly what he meant when he said that it's talking about thinking about halakha. But let's just say, for our purposes, it's talking about 
uh, I mean, it sounds like you would say it's talking about any sort of involvement in Torah, that worrying about Torah cannot harm you. So, uh, you know, I think it's possible to make anything, to approach anything neurotically and then be harmed by it. But I think what he might mean by this is that, that if you're worried about your possessions and about your money, okay, so that worry is just going to fester and stew and create problems. The worry is not going to improve you or change you in any way. But with Torah, if you're if you're someone who has worry or anxiety about living up to the standards of Torah, again, presuming you're not doing this in a neurotic way, like let's say I'm just worried about, uh, let's say uh, Lashon Hara, right? Uh, speaking badly about other people. Let's say I am working on myself and I am worried that I might accidentally slip into speaking Lashon Hara. And so I work on myself and it's accompanied by this worry. So eventually that worry, because it's fueling my dedication to trying to live according to halacha and to improve my character, it will change me in ways that improve my life and it will extend my, you know, the quality of my life and, the t- and, and, and make me into a better person. Same thing with the worry about how much you're learning. Like, I think if a person ever feels complacent and says, oh, I'm learning enough Torah, like that's it, I don't have to do this anymore, then I think there's something wrong. I think that the person really... As long as their relationship with Torah is growing, then then they should constantly be evaluating and trying to see how can I incorporate learning into my life in greater ways, quantitatively and qualitatively. And I, I that is a type of worry and concern, but it it actually leads to perfecting you. So, what I don't know though is is I, I, these two ideas I've said are basically contrary to each other. Because on the one hand, I'm saying that the way Epictetus advocates treating the principles of the handbook as if they were laws leads to an unhealthy type of worry and anxiety because it blurs the lines between legislation and principles. On the other hand, stoicism like, you know, similar to Torah, if you are worried about approximating those ideals, that could lead to actually perfecting you and it could be a healthy type of worry. So those were the thoughts I had. Uh, I don't, I, I know it didn't quite finish up in a nice and neat package, but uh, that's, that's what I was thinking for this morning. And I just wanted to share it. That's it for today's episode. If you've gained from what you've learned here today, please consider contributing to my Patreon at www.patreon.com slash Rabbi Schneeweiss. Alternatively, if you would like to make a direct contribution to the Rabbi Schneeweiss Torah Content Fund, my Venmo is at matt-schneeweiss, and my Zell and PayPal are mattschneeweiss at gmail.com. Even a small contribution goes a long way to covering the cost of my podcast and will provide me with the financial freedom to produce even more Torah content for you. If you would like to sponsor a day's or a week's worth of content, or if you're interested in enlisting my services as a teacher or tutor, you can reach me at rabbishnaywise at gmail.com. Thank you to my listeners for listening. Thank you to my readers for reading. And thank you to my supporters for supporting my efforts to make Torah ideas available and accessible to everyone.